1: Hello and welcome to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. You join us this week at the Devonshire Park Theatre in the fine south coast resort of Eastbourne, a town which literally drips with history. (laughs) The earliest settlement here on a stream, or Bourne, had no name, but as the hamlet grew, a competition was held to choose a title to suit this town to the east of the Bourne. On the the day of the final entries, Halley's Comet passed over and the new name became Bourne Under a Wandering Star. (laughs) However, following copyright problems with the writers of Paint Your Wagon, it was changed to Oklahoma. (laughs) This resulted in obvious confusion with coach parties travelling to the American Midwest in search of a bingo hall. (laughs) And so the town became Eastbourne. Noted historic buildings in Eastbourne include the old manor house where recent restoration workers revealed a hidden wall mosaic and a priest hole. But despite putting traps down, they haven't caught him yet. (laughs) (laughs) In 1847, a sporting activity was established at Devonshire Park to prepare English ladies tennis players for Wimbledon. Training involved a single player hitting a ball against the side of the clubhouse. (laughs) And every summer since, Eastbourne has echoed to the cry of, ''Advantage, brick ball!'' (laughs) Eastbourne has long been the subject of royal patronage, a connection specially commemorated during the Silver Jubilee when the Mayor Winifred Lee was presented to the Queen Mother. Most other towns just get her a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> With its close proximity to France, these days Eastbourne is a popular summer choice for students on school shoplifting exchanges. <laughs> Charles, Charles Darwin developed his theory of evolution here, and his great-great-great-great-grandson still lives in the town where he retired after a long career on television, appearing in adverts for PG Tips. <laughs> a regular summer visitor here was the writer Richmond Crompton, who was responsible for bringing us the amusing little character, Martin Jarvis. <laughs> famous resident today is Dame Vera Lynn, who's something of an ambassador for Eastbourne, always turning out to greet famous celebrities whenever they visit the town. So we have to wish her a very pleasant evening. <laughs> In front of the television. As I introduce on my left, Barry Cryer and Graham Garden. And on my right, Tim Brooke Taylor and Jeremy Hardy. And preparing herself for some red hot scoring action, please welcome the lovely Samantha. Okay, the first round is all about the dubious practice known as sexing up when certain unjustified events are supported by wholly unsubstantiated claims. This round's going to be a humdinger. So, teams, I invite you, please, to suggest sexed-up book, record and film titles likely to be found lying around at number 10, Downing Street. Barry, you can start.
0: Um, Big Dorrit. Graham? 1984. Who cares about the age difference? (laughs) Tim? The Blair Witch Document.
1: As you like it, know what I mean? (laughs) Jeremy. Back passage to India. (laughs) The
0: French Lieutenant's a woman. (laughs) (coughs) David Copperfield. (laughs) Mary Pop-out. Star Fours. <laughs> the Man in the Iron Mac. <laughs> Swallow an Amazon. <laughs> Tis pity she's a horse. <laughs> Twenty thousand legs under the sheet. <laughs> Head a gobbler. two genitals of Verona. (laughs) Bed knobs and broomsticks for the comma after bed. (laughs) Chitty chitty gang bang. Let's get it over.
1: Okay, the teams are going to sing for us now in the round known as one song to the tune of another. Anyone having, anyone having trouble grasping this concept may care to consider a song to be like a tree. The leaves represent the words which occasionally fall off to be replaced later by new leaves or different words. Obviously, the discarded words don't form a slimy layer on top of your lawn like leaves do. That's why they should be swept up and placed in a heap to be burnt on bonfire night to the, accompan- to the accompaniment of loud bangs as the hedgehogs explode. <laughs> Now I, come to think of it, now I come to think of it, there's no record of a few song lyrics ever causing an express train to sit outside Tunbridge Wells Station for nine hours at a time. Not that you'd think leaves on the rails would have been much of a problem these days. So few trains seem to actually to stay on them. Now, <laughs> teams, I can guess what you're thinking. What kind of species of tree is this? Is it an elder? Is it an ash? You could try asking a so-called expert, but in all likelihood he wouldn't know his ash from his elder. <laughs> <laughs> At the piano, Colin sells. <laughs> I can't be nasty about Colin on this programme. He's just twisted his ankle. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> 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 we'll start with you, Tim. Will you please sing the words of "Honey, Honey" by Abbott to the tune of "House of the Rising Sun"? If you now, Barry, would you please sing the words of Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys to the tune of Tchaikovsky's piano concerto number no. one? <laughs> Or turn Jeremy. <laughs> Would you please sing the words of Teenage Dirtbag by, <laughs> by Wheatus to the tune of Early One Morning? <laughs>
0: Miss Lowe, well I have a dream about her. She rings my bell, i got gym class in half an hour. know <laughs> how she rocks in keds and tube socks, but she doesn't know who I am and she doesn't give a damn about me. <laughs> Cos I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Listen to Iron Maiden, baby, with me. Her boyfriend's a dick and he brings a gun to school and it would simply kick my ass if he knew the truth. <laughs> I think he's been having lessons. (laughs) (laughs) In what?
1: (laughs) Finally, Graham, would you please sing the words of A Windmill in Amsterdam to the tune of Bob Dylan's Mr Tambourine Man.
0: (laughs) A mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam A windmill with a mouse in wasn't grousing he'd say every morning how lucky I am living in a windmill in old Amsterdam I saw a mouse (laughs) where on the stair there where on the stair right there a little mouse with clogs on well I declare (laughs) Clippity-clippity-clop <laughs> On the stair, oh, yeah, mouse got lonesome
1: The next round consists of a series of really silly questions. Am I looking forward to this? (laughs) The silliest questions are often posed by young children. In fact, our own Barry Cryer used to ask so many stupid questions as a youngster that his mother took him to see a child psychologist. But when he couldn't help, she took Barry to an adult one instead. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim was telling us how some years ago he was watching TV with his four-year-old son, when he suddenly asked, How do you make people laugh? So Tim sat down while his son explained. <laughs> <laughs> okay, teams, we have a child on a live link up who is ready and waiting to ask a series of questions for you to provide the answers to. Okay, first question our child wants to ask is for you, Graham, and it's this
2: Why do I have stinky feet?
0: You have stinky feet because we can't afford shoes. (laughs) But don't worry, you'll soon grow out of those old camembert boxes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now you, Jeremy. Here's a question for you to try to answer
2: Why is it rude to pick your
0: nose?
1: Well, it's not necessarily rude to pick your nose so long as you share. Tim, now, try and answer this one, if you can.
2: Why do the Tories bother to change their leader?
0: <laughs> to get to the other side.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Barry, see if you can answer this question. What does gay mean?
0: Ask your Auntie Norman. <laughs>
1: OK, Graham, you again. Let's see how you handle this tricky question.
2: How are babies made?
0: Babies, ah. Well, a stork flies out of the gooseberry bush and Daddy is so amazed he doesn't notice the milkman
1: nipping in the back door. <laughs> Jeremy, here's a, a rather tricky question for you to have a go at.
2: Why did my cat die?
1: Well, your cat didn't exactly
0: die. It went to live with Jesus, who has a small flat under the compost heap. <laughs> yeah.
1: Tim, let's see if you can answer this baffling question.
2: Why aren't the goodies on
0: anymore? <laughs> Now, that's the first sensible question you've asked. Why? Well, we've been trying to get at the root cause of this, um, but you'll be pleased to know there is a DVD available for Christmas. Why? (laughs) Because there's such a demand for it. Why? (laughs) Because it's such a great show and it's so reasonably priced. What
2: a for (laughs) problem.
1: I'm rather warming to that kid.
2: What a mental brother. What are those people laughing at? I don't know. (laughs) Why?
1: You're asking the wrong person. Finally, Barry, here's one last question for you.
2: Why does Daddy swear in the car?
1: F*** off, I'm driving. (laughs) Next game goes by the name of Cheddar Gorge. Why? <laughs> Titles of games are taken from <laughs> Tell you what, I'm unnerved by this <laughs> absolutely dreadful voice coming from my room. Why? <laughs> Herod, all is forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) Titles of games are taken from all manner of sources, and I notice a recent trend towards using TV programs. These include A Place in the Sun, which involves buying a daily newspaper containing a fish. (laughs) 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 Waking the Dead, which is an interesting look at the audience at a Phil Collins concert. And then there's... House doctor, which involves treating serious injuries, sustained while playing bingo. (laughs) (laughs) In Cheddar Gorge, players utter one word each in turn in order to construct a coherent sentence. The object is never to complete the sentence, but if I detect a full stop has been reached, you'll hear this. (laughs) As I tap this bullfrog with my mallet. (laughs) Okay, teams, the subject of your sentence is a postcard from Eastbourne. Tim, you can start.
0: Both... Having... A... Good... Time... Swallowing... (coughs) Lots... Of... Nearby... Cream... Teas... Which... Are... Made... Here... In... The... Traditional... Manner... For... Some... Old... People... Who... Are... Dying... (laughs) To... (laughs) Try... Them while sitting on the pier outside, which is the nicest and most elegant yet <laughs> somehow <laughs> strangely alluring object, which is the thing that I call the best of the. Wonderful, yet <laughs> strangely crap objects in the southeast of the country, which is near France. Yet <clears throat> it still maintains a distinct flavour of peppermint and faint odour of roses and liver.
1: Let's move on. It's come to my attention, teams, that there's an increasing tide of filth on our airwaves these days. Whatever happened to good old wholesome TV shows like Johnny and Fanny Craddock's? We didn't need a catalogue of smut to enjoy Fanny sharing a recipe for sausages that taste just like Johnny's. (laughs) Oh, no, indeed. We couldn't get enough Fanny in those days. (laughs) What are those people laughing at? Go to bed. <laughs> Even certain well-known songs are polluted by smut, so the teams are going to perform censored versions, avoiding offence to our audience by concealing any smutty contents with the buzzer. When I say that any content causing offence to the ear will be removed, we will, of course, have to make one exception. The piano accompaniment of Colin <laughs> cell. Actually, we were all very impressed to learn that Colin once played alongside Roy Orbison. Orbison, of course, was nicknamed the Big O, and in turn he affectionately referred to Conin as that little C. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll start with you, Tim and Jeremy. I'd like you to censor a medley of Rogers and Hammerstein songs for me, please, from the musical South Pacific. Off you go.
0: Some enchanted evening. You make p- a stranger, you make p- a stranger across a crowded room, and somehow you'll know, you know even then that somewhere you'll p- her again I'm gonna wash that man ride right out of my I'm going to wash that that man man right right out of my... I'm going to wash wash that man right out of of my... And send him on his way. There There is is nothing nothing like a... Nothing in the world. There is nothing you can... That is anything like a...
1: Your turn, Barry and Graham, and I uh, I have more Rodgers and Hammerstein songs for you as well. This time from The King and I. Off you go, please.
0: Getting to you, getting to all about you. Getting to you, getting to hope you, me. Getting to you, putting it... But nicely, you are precisely my... Hmm. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my... (laughs) Erex and whistle a happy tune, so no one will suspect I'm a... (laughs) While... In my shoes, I strike a careless pose and whistle a happy tune so no one ever knows I'm a. <laughs> the result of this deception is very strange to tell, for when I. the people I. I. myself as well. Shall we, shall we, shall we then say goodnight and mean, or perchance, when the last little star has left the sky, shall we still, together with our arms around each other, and shall you be my new, on this clear understanding that this thing can happen, shall we, shall we.
1: Shall we? Well, I notice it's very nearly the end of the show, but there's just time to squeeze in a round of Fisherman's Theatre Club. Samantha has to leave us now. She's off out for a lovely meal with a new chef friend who's laying on a traditional shellfish evening. She says she's really looking forward to enjoying his special cockle night. (laughs) So, teams, while she's away preparing for that, I'll ask you please to suggest titles of plays, musicals and other stage shows likely to appeal to an audience of fishermen. Graham, will you start, please?
0: Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dabs. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a performance of Swan Hake starring Dame Celia Canth. (laughs) Calamari Jane. Very popular with anglers is uh, half a sixpence because it contains the hit number, Flashbang, Scallops, What a (laughs) Pilchard. And Inspector Trawls. When the Bait Comes in. Trawlers and Cressida. (laughs) Thoroughly modern Mullet. All's welks that ends welks. Uh... Look back in, angler. <laughs> Merry Wives of Grimsby. <laughs> two Gentles of Verona. Ah, you see, fishermen they call maggots yeah. Gentles. Gentles, yes, maggots. yes. yes. Uh, <clears throat> why? <laughs> All right, Two Maggots of Verona. <laughs> the Merchant of Grimsby. <laughs> Twelve angry maggots. <laughs> Tyman of Grimsby. Maggot and super maggot. Hamlet's Prince of Grimsby. Arms and the maggot. <laughs> the maggot who came to dinner. Lady Windermere's maggot.
1: Uh, uh, And so, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) as the coal face of time is hewn by the miner of destiny and the colliery manager of fate is arrested for employing underage (laughs) labour, I notice it's the end of the show, so from the teams of Samantha, myself and the good folk of Eastbourne, it's goodbye. Bern Ben Garden, Jeremy Hardy and Tim Brooke Taylor were being
0: given silly things to do by Humphrey Littleton with Colin Sell setting some of them to music. The programme consultant was Ian Pattinson and the producer was John Naismith. <laughs>